Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. Hey, it's old Cody over here, and as always, I have my co-host with me, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself, Jimbo Snively. Hey, Jimbo, where are we at, and who do we have today? Hey, Cody boy, it's another great day in the Osage, but we're not in the Osage. We're down by Wayne, Oklahoma, and uh, Cody... Uh, the word legend gets thrown out there probably a little too much, overused. But Ike Rude was a true rodeo legend. He was a three-time world champion steer roper. But um, he started his rodeo career in 1910. And his last rodeo was 1971 at Cheyenne. 61-year career. I don't think, I'd say that's unprecedented in the, in the history of rodeo myself. I don't, I don't know who could top that. The only guy I know is John Ray Powell, maybe, you know, but he wasn't he, near he successful. Won, uh, he won Cheyenne at the age of 19, uh, 50, 1956 at the age of 62. That's how well he competed at, at that age. And uh, just an unbelievable legend. And uh, anyway, here a year and a half ago or so, his daughter Sammy decided to write a book and try to get his whole career condensed into a book and i know that is quite an undertaking but she's got it completed now and uh waiting on the publisher but uh anyway we're going to talk to his daughter sammy today uh sammy welcome to the cowboys osage podcast well thank you for having me i appreciate it appreciate the opportunity to for you all to hear about my dad's life and career well it was an unbelievable career and and, and the length of it just blows me away you know yeah, there's never been another cowboy that I know of, except maybe one, the one I said, John Ray Powell, that had as long of a roping career as Ike Rude. Right. For sure. 1910. Where was his first rodeo he entered at? Well, that was at Mangum, Oklahoma, and he was 16 years old. And uh, let, let's back up a little. He yeah, was, let's he, start let, Ike's let, early let, days let, right here. Start, yeah, he was born March 26 in 1894. In what was then uh, Texas Territory at Mangum. He was born 24 miles north of Mangum in Greer County, but back then it was all Indian Territory, but uh, Texas claimed that. And two years later, it was transferred over to Oklahoma. And it, of course, uh, so <laughs> in writing this book, I always thought Dad was born an Okie. But it's kind of debatable. I think he was born a Texan, but two years later, when he was two years old, is when he came into Oklahoma. That part and that of, was a, a shocker for me. That but, part of Texas got smart and came to Oklahoma. I think he can literally claim both states. Yeah, Easy. I think he can, too. But, of course, it wasn't until 1907 that Oklahoma became a state. Right. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, well, I until I really got pursuing the history of it, and with the help of Michael Grower at the Hall of Fame, he deemed him a Texan. <laughs> so, but then uh, he was the runt of five children. He had four sisters, and he was the youngest. And he never grew past five foot five inches tall. Some people had him at five six, but that was when he was wearing his boots. But with when he with was, thick soles on them. <laughs> when he was just about. Uh, Five years old, his dad, Sam Rude, had to make a cattle drive from Mangum to Woodward, Oklahoma, and 
Ike wanted to go along with him. Well, he's, <coughs> excuse me, just a minute. His mother wouldn't let him, but she finally relented if he would ride in the wagon. Well, as soon as he got over the hill and out of sight, out came his little saddle, and he got on his pony, and he made the trip. <laughs> so that's when he was a young boy. When he was a young boy, did what? when did he leave home? Well, he, of course, he, he, like I said, his first rodeo was there at Mangum when he was 16. And that winter, he worked some for the Mill Iron Ranch there around. It was fairly close to Mangum. And he, but he spent the winter out there in a dugout. And he said that was the coldest winter he ever spent. But when he was uh, graduated from the eighth grade, he left home <clears throat> and uh, went left on horseback to find him a job. And in those days, really, it wasn't that unusual for the boys of the family to only go through the eighth grade and then go to work. You know, a lot of them didn't complete high school. Where did his desire to rope come from? Because he probably liked to rope better than anybody. When he was three years old, there's a picture taken of him with a rope in his hand. And he had rope anything, chickens, hogs, cats, dogs around the place, and he's dead. he always said he wanted to grow up to be a roper, and the best there was. Mm-hmm. And his dad told him, and his dad turned out to be the sheriff later on, says if you don't uh, keep your rope off all the neighbor's livestock, you're going to be in jail most of your life, and you won't have a chance to be the best roper. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what was, when he left home, he went to work for some ranches, what yes. were some of the ranches he worked well, for as a young he man? he first went to the Four Sixes, and Tom Burnett told him, says, I don't have work for you now, Ike, but in two weeks I will. Well, Ike said, no, I need to get on to work now. So he rode on to the Matadors, and that's where he got his first job at the Matador Ranch. And he was there at the Matadors for about a year and then he went on to the J.A. Ranch and worked there several years. Did he, I bet he always heard he practiced his roping a little bit on those ranches. <laughs> he practiced his roping every chance he got. <laughs> and a little too much, yes. Right. Uh, yeah, at the Matadors, uh, he, he'd rope anything. Of course, the cowboys weren't supposed to rope, and even at Brandon time, the regular hands didn't get to rope, usually, you know. But, uh, yeah, Dad did rope all he could when the bosses weren't around and, you know. <laughs> Jimbo got a good story about him roping up the, up there in the Osage. And, no, well, it wasn't Osage. He was down at one of those Texas ranches. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when he, uh, there at the end, at the Matadors, uh, the straw boss was cutting out horses for the, uh, and going through his horses and looking at them. And so many of them was skinned up, and he was asking the cowboys, who was riding this horse? Well, the answer was always the same, Ikey Rude, Ikey Rude. And they were skinned up because they was going through too much sagebrush and riding them, you know, too much. And uh, so he got, the boss got mad, and there was uh, him, Ike and another guy that liked to rope too much. And the other guy got fired on the spot, and the boss sent dad to uh, break horses up at Childress. Well, that didn't set too well with Ike, and he thought, heck, if I'm going to get in trouble for rope, and I'll just go to another ranch. 
So that's when he went quit and went to the JAs. What all jobs did he have on those ranches besides just being a, a ranch hand? Well, that was it. Okay. Because uh, Dad always said, you know, that he wouldn't work for a ranch that didn't have a whole bunch of cattle. Yes, and, ma'am. And uh, because if you work for a smaller ranch, you're just going to be put to work and fixing the windmills and do a various chores. I thought you told me he had held a chuck wagon job over on the Matadors, possibly. Well, both both the Matadors and the J.A.s at that time had chuck wagons. He yes, went ma'am. out with the chuck wagons, but he okay. never held a job. <clears throat> excuse me. On the chuck wagon. With the chuck wagon. He and just went out with them to, to do he, some work. He, they, the chuck wagons was there. That's where the cowboys had come after they got done with their work during the day. And then they'd go back to the chuck wagons to eat and to sleep. But no, Dad never did anything like that with the chuck wagon. Oh, okay. Okay. There is a, a picture that you ran across here a while back after after a cattle drive, maybe from the Matadors the or the Matadors, J.A.s. Uh, and they're all... It, <laughs> celebrating yes it was quite a picture it's quite a historical picture actually i saw that picture first at my son's troy compton's place it was in their cookbook that they got about old chuck wagon recipes and lo and behold there was a picture and i got looking at it and i thought that looks like dad he was about 17 years old probably the first year he went to work for the matadors and the cowboys had driven the cattle and to the, the holding pens to ship them off and they was on their way back home and they was all over the caboose and they had a you know whiskey in their hand drinking and all and it was quite a picture and their dad is standing with his hands in his pockets and he wasn't drinking yeah, I've seen because that picture. He, that is, he, he was just a kid, and the cow the cowboys wouldn't let him. You know, a kid drink. I mean, they was respectful. So, uh, Dad was just seventeen years old when that was taken. That's quite the picture. They're all yeah. standing on I the know. back of that deal, celebrating after the after the cattle drive. Yeah, I, guess. I hope I can get that picture put in my book because that is quite a historical yeah. picture. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. Uh, ranch pictures of all time that i've ever seen because it's just such a great picture you can almost picture yourself being in there jimbo having a right. having oh, a good time they're just so glad to be done they're they're right. cutting loose for a yeah. few days before they got to go back to work it looks like sammy what was the story about uh, poncho villa i'd never heard that okay well after dad uh left the map uh, dad was making like i think it was 25 dollars a month you know working yep. on these ranches right. back that's then, big money and all the room and board you wanted, you know, all hmm. the ground to sleep on you wanted. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, he heard, he was still not getting enough rope in with his ranching that he wanted to do. Well, he heard out in Arizona that uh, the Cherokee ranches, the big spread out there, was paying, uh, I think it was $50 a month to bring wild cattle in from the mountains out there and uh, all the roping you could get, as, as many cattle as you could rope and bring down from the mountain. Well, that sounded like a heck of a deal to <laughs> you know. Yeah. So he quit the JAs, and uh, this was in, um, let's see, ni- 1915, 1915, and went to, uh, got on a train and went to Arizona. Well, en route on the train, it it uh, changed trains, I think, and I believe it was Hachita, Arizona. And Dad got on the wrong train and ended up in El Paso, Texas. 
and down there uh, he befriended a cowboy that said that uh, he had been involved in going down to Mexico and trying to get the cattle back that Pancha Villa had been stealing, coming up across the border and stealing from all the ranchers and the farmers. And they was paying like $150 for a trip, and for a two-day trip. Well, boy, back then, that was a ton of money. I'd go down there for that, for that now, Jimbo. Oh. You, well, you, do, do you know the background of Pancho Villa? Well, yeah, the Mexican Revolution was going on. They were hiring machine gunners and everything, he, paying them in gold. Yeah, he was killing people right and left when he'd come up to these ranches and steal their cattle, even down in Mexico. He was quite the bandit. Cody's a bandit by heart, I okay, think. Okay, well, you might have could have yeah. got he, the job. He was just born too late. <laughs> just too late. <laughs> so Dad thought, well, maybe that sounds pretty good to him. He might take a trip down there or two. Well, this cowboy friend said, um, well, why don't you come out and spend the night with me? So Dad did. And in the night, he heard these two little kids crying. And the next morning, he was a bachelor, and Dad got up, and he asked his friend, who, who are those little kids I heard crying in the night? He says, oh, the last raid I went down there to get some cattle, said I come upon them, said their uh, parents had just been killed by Ponchevilla. And he says, I felt so sorry for him, I brought him back. Well, that got Dad to thinking, maybe I just better get on to the Arizona and leave that alone, which he did. I think he made the right decision. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So, yeah, he went on to Arizona and uh, got a job at uh, the, Ch the Chiricahua Ranch. The Cowboys always, always referred to it as the Cherry Ranch, because the Cherry River ran through the middle of it. But uh, he got a job there bringing wild cattle out of the mountains. And uh, let's see. World War One came around right after that. Yeah, of course, he worked there for a, a while. And this was back when, see, this was all Indian territory up north of Globe in the in the mountains up in there. And the Tonto Basin War had just been fought not too long long before that. That was where John Rhodes' father was killed. Dad knew John Rhodes real well, uh, you know, but uh, it was quite a history lesson up there of what all, how wild and woolly the, the mountains were up in there. Who was John Rhodes? Well, he's what was the significance inducted. of this fellow? He, he was a roper and a good, very good healer. He's being inducted into the Hall of Fame next week uh, uh, here in Oklahoma City. John Rhodes is. He's going in next week? Yes, yes uh-huh. He's going in next <laughs> Jimbo's granddad's going in next week. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Dad, uh, oh, one, one funny thing I've got to tell you. I don't know if you all know who, when Dad was working up in Arizona, he got, got acquainted with Breezy Cox. Well, Breezy Cox was a cowboy. Actually, Breezy Cox was Carl Arnold's um, brother-in-law. Brother-in-law, Yes. And uh, Dad got acquainted with him. Well, there was two cowboys up there in the mountains working. And uh, Breezy had a toothache one time. And so, of course, they was, you know, miles from a town or a dentist. And so he told Ike, he says, why don't you take these fencing pliers and pull this tooth for me? Well, it had been raining and it was muddy. And so uh, he, Dad says, okay, lay down here on the ground. And all. Dad straddled him. 
I said, show me which tooth it was and I'll pull it. Well, Breezy showed him and he laid down and Dad pulled it and Breezy jumped up and he started cussing says, Ike, you pulled the wrong tooth. <laughs> so Dad says, well, lay back down and I'll pull the right one. So he laid back down and Dad pulled it again. <laughs> but, you know, I, uh, in, in a, a t- taped interview about Dad and his ranching days, that I came across, you know, you come think of it, those cowboys, if they got hurt, they had to settle a horse and ride down the mountain, which might be 45, 50 miles to the doctor, to town. If you broke a leg or something, you had to get on your horse and just go down by yourself. They couldn't afford to take another cowboy to go with you. They was up there working, you know. So uh, Dad did say they had an old Indian uh, that was a kind of a medicine doctor that was kind of with them sometime that would brew things up, you know, if they got sick. But he said very seldom did they get sick, which is really amazing. Living out on the, they slept out on the ground and, you know, in all kind of weather yeah. and that they didn't get hurt any more than they did. It's just unbelievable, really. Yeah, I was thinking just the other day what it would have been like to be riding somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and a big rainstorm come on you. Dad, what do you do? You just keep going, I guess. If it's a hail, you get underneath your saddle blanket and your saddle. There you I've, go. I've heard them talk about that. All right. Dad said one time up there in the mountains in Arizona, they come a big, big, bad electric storm. And, of course, those tall pines up there. And he said he was running his horse at a high speed trying to get back to the campsite. And he... His horse was about out of wind, so he pulled up. Of course, it was pouring rain and everything. About that time, probably 100 yards in front of him, lightning struck a big old pine, and it fell down. Half of it just went like a spear in the ground. And he said if he had kept on, he'd have, you know, he'd have been right at it. He'd have been killed. Wow. Yeah. That's some lucky stuff right there. Oh, I know. Yeah, you think about all those things and... You know, it's a wonder they survived, that, didn't it? Yeah, it's a wonder they survived. Yeah. You wonder he didn't get hurt. Ike had never had a broken bone in his life. Even and his rodeo times? In rodeo nothing. times, all of his escapades, and some of them were wild in his younger days. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. It sure is. That is an amazing story, especially so the cattle there roping and everything back then. There were just so many opportunities. Mm-hmm. To get your horse jerked down on you and all kind of different stuff, especially uh, roping wild cattle up in the Arizona mountains yeah. and dragging them down. Well, in 1918, the government had been trying to locate Ike for the past six months because he was drafted. Uh, the World War, well, it, was, it wasn't called World War One then. That was before we had a World War. Uh, but uh, they was trying to find him to be drafted him to go over to fight. And they had sent notice to his home at Mangum. His parents had no, all they knew, he was up in Arizona in the mountains somewhere. Well, some way, they finally got a hold of the Cherokovas and the Double Circle circle Ranches where Dad was working for. And even the headquarters uh, was a while finding where the cowboys were up in the mountains. But when he finally got the letter, he was scared to death. Because it had been six months. I thought you was going to say the war was over by the time he got the letter. <laughs> no, it could have been. So he immediately saddled a horse mm-hmm. and rode down to Globe. And uh, they, they said, well, we've already uh, 
sent out the, the, the group we wanted you to be with, so go on up back to work in the mountains and we'll catch you the next round, which they did. And so Dad uh, went home first for a short spell because he thought that'd be the last time he'd ever see his parents, and he went off to, to World War I. Where did he go? He went to, um, uh, let me get my notes here because I can't remember all this. Uh, he was assigned to the 90th Division, the 315th Mobile Veterinary Section. His duty was to bring the injured horses back from the front lines. Now this, this division uh, lost more American drafted uh, people than any division in that war. Four or five of the originals of a lot never made it home. During this time, after, of course, after the war was over, uh, he did occupation duty in Germany. Uh, and during this time, I met Fred Lowry and Lewis Jones at a horse show. In Germany? In Germany. There, they were all doing occupation duty after the war. You know, uh, Ben Johnson Sr., he was in World War I also. Yeah. I wonder if he was part of that group. He sure could have been. Sure could have been. Anyway, Jones had told Ike that he had seen a horse trailer in England that you could put a horse in and pull it behind a car. And that you could run 15 miles an hour with this rig. And uh, anyway, that's the first that Dad had heard, ever heard of a horse trailer. And he did say he, he had seen some while he was over there in England because they went to England before they went on over to, to France, you know, when he was in the Army. Anyway, um, the three cowboys decided that they would put on a goat roping as a special show for the Germans, and so they did. Now, where they got the horses to rope on, I have no idea, probably from, of course, the war, World War One. you know, yeah. uses lots of horses. Lots of horses yeah. in that and war. A lot of horses were killed in that yeah, war. Yeah, I bet mean, it had to be. Horses, I read, were more of a problem. They valued the horses more than they did the human life because horses became hard to get there at the end of the war. Yeah. They used a lot of mules too, I think. Yeah. But that was their only mode of transporting their yeah. big artillery around was the horse, horse drawn in those days. Yeah. yeah. So they put on a goat roping in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. He loved to rope so much, he was oh, roping during the war over. Nobody ever loved to rope more than I could. Oh, I don't my think. gosh. He was obsessed with it. Yeah. And like he said one time, the older he got, the more he liked it. <laughs> I could like it anymore. No, I don't either. <laughs> I know he. I know he's the oldest man to ever win Cheyenne, like you said, Jim. Right. The only reason I knew that before this podcast is because my dad's the second oldest man to ever win Cheyenne. Okay. We had to do some research on it because he wanted it. I, Fifty-seven years old. Yeah, I think Ike was the oldest world champion too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fifty-nine, maybe. Fifty-nine. That yeah. still stands. Nineteen fifty-three. Mary Berger won the world champion in barrel race in, what was it, 2016? So she, as far as world champions, she, she's yeah. the oldest cowgirl, but Ike still stands as the oldest cowboy. And Co Did you know there was a girl world champion barrel racer? She was just 11 years old? No. Yeah. Uh, she died in a car wreck. Yes, yes. I, before the, now before the, the finals, I but... Uh, she, that, that, a lot of people don't know that, but she's she, she, right she, over here at Sulphur. Yeah, 
She yeah. won. She won the world championship. I know that the women's association they had a lower age limit. Mm-hmm. to become a professional than the men did. She's in the books, but she never got to even compete at the finals because of she's tragically killed in a car wreck. See what I got to put up with this rodeo historian all oh, the time. He's throwing facts at me all the time. Well, I'm trying I to learn I couldn't from remember her name, day. though, so I'm not real good. Lou, what was her name? I know. And I, well, Sammy can't remember I it either. Well, so. I, I don't remember it. <laughs> it may not be in this time frame. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come to us right after we sign off the air right, here after yeah. a while. Well, in June 1919, Dad Ike was discharged from the Army at El Paso, Texas. And he went back home for a while. And he had an uncle that says, well, I'll put you to work. As a, uh, he had he formed a little. So Ike got out on a tractor. And that didn't <laughs> take but a few months. And he thought, this is not for me. Uh, cowboys and farming no. don't, don't mix no, very well. No. Very few do. I know one. One. One farmer cowboy, that's it. <laughs> so his dad had given him a horse, and dad called him Blue Darter. And what Blue Darter was used for, he was used for cutting their hogs, which I didn't know he ever used a horse for cutting hogs, but that's what my granddad did. Anyway, he gave him Blue Darter. And uh, Ike rode out to the J.A. ranch and went back to work for the J.A.'s again. Cutting hogs. You mean castrating hogs? What, what, what? No, I meant like cutting cattle. I don't know. Oh, hog yeah, cutting. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Never heard of such a thing. I neither. I, uh, I, I neither. Leave it to I crude. <laughs> he can go in there. He rope one of them, I bet. <laughs> right. It is really Never hard to make rope. a rope stay on a pig. You almost have to pick up the front foot. You do. You got to pick up the front foot. Well, at that time, at the J.A.'s, J.W. Kent was the ranch manager. And actually, it was J.W. that kind of help dad get get to get to rope for a full-time career jw liked to promote dad in roping even though he was working on the ranch for him jw would often send pay his entry fees and send him off to the local ropings of course back then you rode your horse to the ropings you know there's a lot of guys that's helped a lot of cowboys out that same way that he helped your dad out yeah, he, he did, and uh, one time J, J.W. even uh, bet the R.O. ranch manager, which was a neighboring ranch out there, $500 to match Ike against the best roper that the R.O.'s had, and the R.O. manager took him up on it. Well, this was to be roping goats, though, and ironically, I could never rope that many goats at that point in time. Well, goats are probably the hardest animal to rope. But Daddy went, I keep calling him Daddy, I'm going to refer to him as I I went to practice and and word got back to the RO ranch manager and the RO guy called it off. So they never got to to find out who was the best. (laughs) I tell you what, them goats, about the time you think you got one lined out, they can do a a 180 degree turn and be going the opposite direction. Well, that quick. Goats know, are tricky. Dad yep. always said hogs was even faster and quicker than goats. Hmm. I don't know. So I, I I don't know anybody that's ever tried to no. rope a hog. I like to eat those hogs, not rope them. The only one I know is uh, Clay O'Brien Cooper in that movie where yeah. he roped the pig yeah. when he was a kid. <laughs> anyway, Ike uh, worked for the J.A.'s from 1920 to 21, and... He quit the J.A.'s in 1921 to become his next 
his full-time rodeo career for the next 61 years. 61 years. That still blows my mind. He, uh, he rode his first roping. He rode Blue Darter 130 miles to Wichita Falls, Texas. Tom Burnett was putting on a, a roping at his place. And by the time Dad got there, he didn't really know where the roping was going to be held. He bedded down the night before in the, in the uh, wagon yard. And by the time he located where the roping was, it had already started. Well, this roping had some of the toughest ropers there. And they had three go-rounds of goat roping and three go-rounds of calf roping. Well, Dad was an unknown at that time, you might say, compared to the, the sure. toughs out there. And nobody knew who, knew who he was. And he didn't really know the rules and regulations other than you just rope. Mm -hmm. You know, you usually, if you can't catch something with one rope, you might as well forget it, you know. They didn't know you could carry two ropes. Well, uh, Tom Burnett told him, he looked up Tom and says, the roping had already started. And Dad says, well, I'd sure like to enter if you'd let me enter late. So Tom says, well, okay, Ike, but there's some pretty tough times here already. I just want to warn you. Well, anyway, Dad entered. He won all three go-rounds of the goat roping, and he won two go-rounds of the calf roping. And on the last calf, he missed his loop. The, the calf set up, and he missed his loop, and he rode out. And somebody yelled at him, get your second rope. Get, <laughs> Ike says, I didn't know you could carry a se second rope. In fact, one rope's all I own. <laughs> so, or he would have won everything there. Can you imagine these guys today owning one rope, Jimbo? <laughs> I've seen Sonny Davis build his own loop from his first miss. So, I, uh, I, I know guys today, they ordered uh, 30 ropes at a time and they go through them and feel them and they don't like but two or three of them. Right. And they only use them once or twice a piece. Right. I used to go around waiting for those guys to throw the ropes away and then I'd right. pick them up and oh. that's what I used. Right. George Weir was one of the ropers there at the roping, and he befriended Ike. And there was going to be a rodeo up at Whizbang, Oklahoma. I guess you boys mm -hmm. know where that's at. Yeah. We're one of the few that know where Whizbang is. Yeah. <laughs> Jimbo, how'd that, I'm sorry. How'd, they get, how'd that town get the name Whizbang, Jimbo? Did you ever hear that? Not exactly how it got the name. It was an oil boom town, you know, and it was just kind of... I guess whizzed and then banged. Yeah, yeah. If they wasn't whizzing, they were banging. They said it was a boom town, right. kind of like an old west boom town right. um, for oil right. there in the uh -huh. Osage Hills. Right. Uh, whiz bang. Yeah. A wild, wild town. In the movie that they just made, I think that they uh, recreated the town of whiz bang is going to be in that really? movie. So. Yeah. Well, from all I've read, it was quite a yeah. quite a wild town. Lots, yeah, I mean, lots it was. Of a, people got shot and killed, and your yeah. typical wild there. west town yes, for sure, just like you'd imagine. Yes. Well, anyway, so Ike went with George Ware back to, to Whizbang. Now, how they got there, I don't know if they rode, put their horses in the, the train and rode it or if they rode their horses. I wish I knew on that one. I think the train went right to Whizbang at that well, time. Well, then did. they probably put their horses on the train and rode back there would be my guess. Anyway, it was at Whizbang that Ike met Barton Carter, and they became immediately good friends. And Barton asked Ike to come and stay out at his house. 
Well, I think Ike stayed, and I wish I knew exactly how long. It was either 10 or 12 or 15 years. <laughs> yeah, I think I read a, a quote one time. Ike Rude came to stay the night at Barton Carter's house, and he stayed 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, did Barton ever marry? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. yeah at, later on. At that time, he was a bachelor. Yeah. His dad was a bachelor. Yeah, I don't know. I think they both married kind of late in life, you know. Okay. So they both, yeah, they yeah. was both bachelors yeah. and they was both ropers and they loved to carouse around Pahuska and mm-hmm. go to all their friends and ropes and, you know, and yeah. go to the ropings together and all. Well, of course, it was here that uh, I told Barton about this horse trailer that he had heard that you could mm-hmm. put a horse in and all. So they decided to build one. And uh, the first Madison Square Garden, uh, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, they decided to build one, and the second Madison Square Garden is where Barton took that trailer to. The first trailer they built, which I hope Barton was a pretty good carpenter because Daddy couldn't hit a nail on the head. So I don't know how much input I had into actually building it. Well, Barton Carter's nephew, George Carter, told me that, um, you know, there was a lot of welders and things around the Pahuska area because of all the oil field work. And that's how they decided they were going to build this first trailer. And and Barton was pretty, pretty good at getting stuff done, they said. Okay. Well, I heard the first trader, or the first trip, it just made it as far as Pershing, Oklahoma, which is, what, five, six miles outside there. Well, yeah, they got it all put together and everything, and Barton told Ike, says, well, load your horse, let's give it a trial run. Well, Daddy did have the common sense, says, let's leave the horse out of it the first time <laughs> and see how this thing works. And so the first, I always heard from Ike, the first curve they came to, they was either going too fast, it fell apart, or it came off the hitch. Well, I don't know what happened. used to be a big curve out at Pershing. It's okay. straight now, but it was a big curve Okay, well, then. that's where the wreck happened, <laughs> and the trailer fell apart. And, and from then on, Ike says, I'm not about to put a horse in something like that. I'll keep riding the horse, catching the train. And But Barton... Uh, I guess the next year he rebuilt it and he put his horse in it and drove to Madison Square Garden. And that's where you told me that Hale, a guy by the name of Hale, saw, saw yeah. it in Madison. Hale Horse Trailer Company saw it and and uh, wow. trademarked the first horse trailer mm-hmm. right off of Barton's. Well, that's some history, isn't it? It was in 1922 that they had the first Madison Square Garden. And Ike went back on the train on that. Now, Gail Warner has mentioned something about the train going back there all the time. But, you know, I do not recall, and I I wish I knew, if Ike took that train that most of the, the, the competitors took. I'm thinking probably not too many times, because he was probably off at another area of the United mm-hmm. States rodeoing and took a different train. Chicago was going on about the same time, I know. Yeah. And they would travel from Chicago. How many days would Madison Square Garden last back oh, then? Four weeks. 29 days or something like that. Yeah. It was a big time. deal. Can you imagine all these cowboys from all over the United States descending down on downtown New York City? Yeah. For a month. Yeah, or New York City descending down on all those cowboys. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it worked both ways. I bet they were in awe. Yeah, we uh, we talked to Olin Young the other day. 
me and Jimbo did, and we re- I, I asked him the, about this Madison Square Garden story I heard one time uh, about this calf roper named Junior Vaughn it was real bad to drink. They said that he came back, he was going to win Madison Square Garden. They got him all uh, hooched up on some alcohol and hit his boots from him. And they said he went down there and won Madison Square Garden barefooted. Junior Vaughn, roping calves. But I can only imagine some of the, the escapades that went on, you know, yeah. when they're there for a month. I bet I bet I bet there's some good stories. Right. Yeah, I bet there is. That are long gone. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Uh, the first Madison Square Garden, Will Rogers was doing the Zigfield Follies and he came over to, to the rodeo and um, he needed. He was asked to do an exhibition in calf roping, and so he didn't have a horse to rope off of. And he was uh, looking at, you know, the best horse out there. And he's his eye caught on Blue Darter, Ike's horse, and so he came over and asked Ike if he could do an exhibition calf roping on him. And Ike said, "Sure." Well, after that, uh, he offered Ike. He wanted to buy the horse, and Ike said, "He's not for sale." And he offered Ike $1,000, and Ike says, no, no, and Ike wouldn't sell, which $1,000 back in those days was a lot of money. And the next spring at Houston, Texas, he will telegraph Ike, and he offered up these Andy to 1500 And Ike still told him he's not for sale. And Will telegraphed him back and says, you're a damn fool for not even pricing him. And all the pictures that you see of a gray horse there at the Will Rogers Museum in Claremore is is Blue Darter. From then on, any time Ike and Will's paths would cross, well, he would rope off a Blue Darter. Hmm. Well, Blue Darter. He wasn't just a roping horse, was he? Yeah. Well, no. Yes, no. No, he was a race horse. <laughs> Dad, back in those days, a lot of the cowboys had, would match their horses for uh, on these dirt tracks, you know. And boy, he won lots of money for Dad as a race horse. What about a cutting horse? Well, the first cutting that was ever held as an exhibition was held at the Texas State Fair. And uh, Dad put him in it, and he won it. That's and a good horse right there. He, Pretty versatile. No wonder Will Rogers wanted to buy him. I mean, really. I mean, there has nothing been written about Blue Darter much. But right. in my opinion, after really reading this and studying it, Blue Darter should have been right up with there with Baldy, Bullet, Buster, all of the famous horses Dad had. But, of course, this was before anybody right. was keeping records of anything, you know. Whatever became of old Blue Darter. Well, finally, at the end, he was starting to get a little age on him, and of course, Dad had hauled him all over the country and roped on him and everything. And the, he was back in Chicago, I believe it was, and the Swift family wanted to buy him for their daughter, and I couldn't sell him. But then he got to thinking. He said, "You know, I'm not going to be back here that many more years." And he says, "Blue Darter's getting uh, some age on him, and I'll just give him to the Swift family." So that's what he did. He didn't. He thought he'd have a wonderful home from then on. <laughs> well, that's great. That's a that's a great story, Sammy. At least he went somewhere. He was going to be loved the rest of his life, and the, right. A little girl was going to ride him right. and treat him right. Right. You know, the best kid horses there are. A lot of these old rodeo horses yep. have been around, yep. seen everything, done everything. You can't spook them. Yep. That's true for sure. For sure. <clears throat> What about 1934? 
when that, he went to London, England. Yeah, that in two years prior, in 1932, Tex Austin had produced a rodeo over in London, England. And uh, he, he got, the, the, the English people thought rodeo was a little rough on stock. It didn't go over real well. And they didn't especially like the calf rope, and they thought that was pretty cruel to jerk a little calf over backwards and all. So they had a ban. They put a ban on the calf rope, and you could rope them, but you had to break away on them. Well, two years later, all the cowboys were under the impression that that ban was lifted. And so Tex Austin produced another rodeo over there, and Ike was one that went over there. Well, when they got over there, the ban had not been lifted. And uh, so they did get to rope. They got to break away. Uh, the queen had them do a command performance for them, for which I roped in it, you know. Uh, I guess some of the local, here, uh, what, uh, well, uh, for lack of a term, the local English people that ran the the stables, you know, they were considered to be really good riders. The elite of mm -hmm. the equestrians back in those days. Well, they decided they was going to get come out to the rodeo and get on some of the broncs. That if these American cowboys, I mean, they were supposed to be the better riders. And I guess about, I don't know, five or six of them came out and Dad said you was carrying them off on stretchers faster than they could get on the horses. <laughs> and it, the rodeo did not go over very well at all. And Tex Austin went broke, couldn't pay the cowboys. And so they was kind of left to their own devices to get back home and to get their horses back home. So that was kind of a, a, a bad experience. Right. You know, when he first came to Whizbang over there, I wonder, if, did he ever uh, <clears throat> compete? Or travel with the 101 Wild West show that was just no, right he, down the road from him. No, he didn't. Uh, he didn't ever work for him or travel with the Wild West show. No. I think it's 30 miles from Whizbang mm -hmm. to where the 101 Ranch headquarters was. Probably. Yeah, when Dad first went back to Pahuskan around there and started out in the 19, early 1920s, uh, C.B. Irwin hired Dad to work for his rodeo company. Now, back, I don't know if y'all know about C.B. Irwin. He put on the, and it was a stock contractor for the Cheyenne Frontier Days and ran the Cheyenne Frontier Days for a long time. And he had a Wild West show prior to being a stock contractor for rodeos. But after he dissolved his Wild West show, then he uh, bought out some of the stock from uh, uh, Barnum and & Bailey and all and a lot of their equipment. And he had his own train and he went around the country for just a few years putting on rodeos. And he contracted some of the cowboys, the better cowboys, to work for him. And I did this for just a short time. He paid him like, a, what was it, $100 a month. And he got to ride and, and in the Pullman car, and these horse would ride in the stock car. And... Uh, he got half of his winnings, I think. That was the deal. But during that time, King Merritt also did that work for C.B. Irwin. And I think that's where Ike and King Merritt became the best of friends during their time working for C.B. Irwin. But Dad only worked for, uh, worked for C.B. for a, a, a few years there. I think Dad 
wasn't getting in enough rope and you know he'd rather be free to catch the next train and get out of town get to the next next rodeo <laughs> king merritt were they from wyoming is that where those folks yeah. were from uh, that's where king merritt eventually settled and had his ranch you know it's kind of ironic king merritt and dad's life was very similar up to that point they both king merritt was uh, had come to Texas and he went to work on the Matadors and the JAs for a short time. They was both born in 1894 and they both served in World War One. And then to think that fast forward, they later was the best of friends for many many years. Yeah. You know. Well, why wouldn't they be? They had an awful lot of common. It seemed like they could uh, pass the the hours away, reliving some old stories for sure. So what about Ike's first car? Oh, What's going on with this thing? <laughs> I, I can wish, only imagine. <laughs> I wish I knew the exact date. But now, I am guessing on this from some pictures I've seen. See, he was still hanging around Barton Carter's place. Yeah, he was, a, he was a resident of Pahuska, he Oklahoma was. for a long time. And he was. Didn't and he have some kids born in Pahuska, too? Yeah, my brother was yeah. born there. There we go. But uh, by this time... I would have been about 40 years old and had never driven a car. All this time, he had either caught the train, shipped his horse on the train, caught a ride with a friend that had one of these horse trailers, and or Barton Carter and him <laughs> traveled together. But can you imagine, up to 40 years old, never having driven? Well, he had been back, him and Barton, I think, had went back to Indianapolis and was at a rodeo, and apparently Dad had won some money because he had some money. He says, well, I think it's time I go buy my car. So they went and bought Ike a car. Well, they went out to the Indianapolis Speedway, <laughs> and for the next two hours, Barton taught Ike how to drive a car on the Indianapolis Speedway. Wow. Did he, uh, did he drive the rest of his life like he was on the he, Indianapolis Speedway? No, no. In fact, even after us kids was born years later, the fastest dad would ever drive was 45 miles an hour. And we'd always say, let mom drive so we can get somewhere. <laughs> but uh, he never learned how to back a car or a trailer. If he no, couldn't, he couldn't back a car, backing the trailer would be out of the question. Yeah, <laughs> mom always got in and back, backed up if there was any backing to do. Yeah. But was it an inline trailer or just a, no, a regular stock? Just a, a, what we had was a single axle, wood sided with a, used to have a canvas top over the top, but that wore out years ago. So, you know, usually there'd be a, something up there front for the horse, you know, to protect it, but not a fully enclosed trailer at all with those, one of those old, Engaged that mm -hmm. you let down. down. You know? Well, yeah. Well, when y'all were going to the rodeos, did, did y'all rode with them quite a bit? I assume. Oh, yeah. Growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, how would y'all stay? How would y'all stay when you got to the rodeo? Say the whole family went to Cheyenne. Did y'all rent a big room somewhere? What What did y'all do? Well, it started out. Of course, my my brother was born in 1942. I was born in 1945, and we would usually uh, just. Camp out, camp out, uh, and pull off in a pasture that a cow a rancher that dad knew or right there at the rodeo grounds. And uh, mom would make, sweep out the tra horse trailer and that became her kitchen. We had a camp stove and she, her manger was where she put all of her dishes and everything and the food. 
we'd usually go to town and get a block of ice and put it, you know, a canvas over it, and that was our ice box. And uh, a lot of times we'd just sleep out on the ground. But then after we got a station wagon, Mom took the back end out, uh, the seats out, and we put a bed back there, a mattress, and us kids and Mom would usually sleep in the, the station wagon, and Dad would still sleep on the ground. I'd he'd been sleeping on the ground all these years. I mean, you know, it was yeah. home to him. <laughs> did, would, would you kids run over the, did they have carnivals and stuff like at Cheyenne at them times? Would you all go over there and play? Or? No. No, you know, we didn't get much away from the rodeo grounds. Uh, Bill's and my plan, we kind of had to form our own entertainment. When we was pretty young, Bill had gotten a ukulele. Bill must have been six and I must have been three. And Bill decided we was going to make some money. And by this time, let me back back up a little. By this time, Mom had decided, well, let's get a tent and camp out at the rodeo grounds. And before too long, a lot of the rodeo families were doing that, but she's the one that started that. And just for probably a couple of years, little tent cities went up next to the Indian cities that was at these, these rodeos. And Mom always had one of the cleanest camps around, though. She took pride in her camping, you know. But anyway, back to Bill and I, we decided we was going to uh, go around to the different tents, and uh, we'd charge them a dollar to get in to sing and play this ukulele. Well, Bill didn't know how to play it. He could strum it. <laughs> but we decided, one of the songs we sang was uh, Gene Autry's Back in the Saddle Again. When we got done singing... We said, well, now that's a penny to first come in, but it's a penny for us to leave. <laughs> and we thought we was really shrewd making some money there. And then when we'd get to the rodeos, we'd love to get under the bleachers and pick up the Coke bottles and all, because you could get, I forget how much it was, but you'd take them to the concession stand and they'd give you money for those pop, pop bottles. So, that was our entertainment, but no, we didn't get much to the carnivals and all. Dad wouldn't let us go over there. We was stuck around the, the rodeo grounds. You know, when I was a kid hanging out at Cheyenne Jimbo, I think it was a, a deal. I think every kid thought of a little money-making deal because uh, me and uh, another, another kid, we would go around and clean stalls for $10 a stall because everybody had to keep their horse in the stall at Cheyenne, and nobody wanted to clean it. $10 is... Worth it to not have to clean the stalls. So, yeah, you did the ukulele concerts, and I was cleaning stalls <laughs> growing well, up. Another thing, a note of interest. I could have played the triangle, though. I could have went in there and played triangle. Yeah. Different, <laughs> different camps, Jimbo. You know, Dad, <clears throat> Dad was an excellent singer, an excellent singer. And uh, every time we'd get, he'd get behind the wheel of the car, he'd go to singing or telling cowboy poetry or something. And that was our entertainment. But once, we were living out at Newhall, California, very close to Andy Hurray's place, and uh, Fox O'Callaghan, he was a, a cowboy and a, got into the movies and was a movie star and stunt actor. He had a telephone, and he only lived, I don't know how far, I want to say a mile or so from us. Well, he'd come knocking on the door, and he says, Ike, there's somebody on the phone wants to talk to you and wants to talk to you now. And Ike says, well, I'm busy eating my supper. Tell, take a number, tell him I'll 
get down there and call him back. And Fox says, no, he said he'd hold the line. He wants to talk to you now. But he wouldn't tell Ike who it was. Well, pretty soon, Daddy came back and started eating again. And Mom says, well, who was on the phone? What was so important? Oh, it was Gene Autry. And she says, well, what do he want? Well, he wanted me to come down to Los Angeles to his recording studio and record some songs. And Mom says, well, what'd you tell him? He says, hell, I'm no singer. I'm a cowboy. <laughs> and that was the end of that. <laughs> I'm glad you pronounced that name Andy Hiregi. Hiregi. We had a debate the other day on one of our podcasts. I couldn't remember how to pronounce his name. Remember? With Corbett. and mm-hmm. We butchered it pretty bad. I knew I'd heard it, but my grandpa, he butchered names too, but he knew him real well and used oh, yeah. to stay out there with him. And They used his place for movie oh, sets yeah. and stuff. And lots of times. In fact, I remember that tree in their, yeah. their barn that they yeah. used. My on grandpa, we'd sets. be watching an old western. My grandpa said, well, there's Andy's barn. You know, yeah. I've heard yeah. that a yeah. Yeah. time. Yeah, well, we lived right out there by it. And of course, yeah. Andy and Dad were the best of friends. In yeah. fact, they used to team rope together a yeah. lot. Hooray, we'll have to remember that. Hooray, yeah. He rode a lot of good horses, Blue Darter. What about the horse Bullet? Bullet, he was a, Daddy was at Cheyenne roping and his horse went sour on him. And Bob Crosby was there with a, he was roping off of a different horse, but uh, Bob Crosby owned Bullet at that time. And he hadn't had him too long, and he had just started uh, training him for steer roping. And he said, Ike, well, you can borrow this horse that I brought with me if you want to try him in your next steer. And I, I said, okay. Well, after he tried him, he says, i got to buy this horse. So he went and got his bug, buddy, King Merritt, and he says, why don't we partner on this horse, Bullet? And so... Uh, uh, King said, okay. So they bought him off of Bob Crosby. He was a seven-year-old when they bought him, I believe. And uh, Ike and King took him to King's Ranch up there in Wyoming, and they was getting ready. Pendleton wasn't too far off. And uh, they was getting, hoping to have him, you know, going by Pendleton. Well, they took him to Pendleton, and that year uh, at Pendleton, King won first on the horse, and Ike was second. And the next year, Ike won first on him. And Ike won his first world championship title on Bullet in 1941. Uh, the following year, 1942, King won the world championship on him. Oh, Bullet wow. was probably one of the best steer horses that ever was. In fact, he was inducted <laughs> into the PRCA Hall of Fame as being as uh, the best steer horse that ever was up to that time, you know, by by many cowboys. One of his most famous horses was Baldy. Baldy, yes. Tell it, did he ever talk about the when, oh, when the trailer caught on fire? Oh, yeah, that was uh, that was quite a story. Yeah, Daddy went to uh, Ronald Mason's ranch mm-hmm. and bought Baldy as a three-year-old right. building, and I mean, uh, he went to took him to Tucson the first rodeo he went to and he roped you know they have four go-arounds there and they was roping calves that weighed 400 pounds with a hundred foot score line back then is what they had and they also had team roping and daddy used baldy the first rodeo he took him to on at that rodeo in the, both the calf roping and the team roping and the team roping um he dad was entered with four different partners and back then, see, in Arizona, 
in team roping, they had what you call tie-down team roping. And it all, the team roping all started out in California and Arizona, in, you know, it, before it was anywhere else in the United States. And California had dally team roping, and Arizona had tie-down team roping. Are you all familiar with the tie-down sure, team sure. roping? Oh, yeah. yeah. What it is, you know, you, mm. you, you tied hard. Seemed like Ike would like that. Oh, he did. In fact, that was, you know, it's too bad that went out of, it was thanks to the Humane Society that thought it was too cruel, you know, on animals. But Well, right up until the 70s, they did five go-rounds of team roping, tie-down team roping, and five go-rounds of California Dally yeah. team roping at the Oklahoma City National Finals. So it stuck around right up until, yeah. I know, 1972, because John Miller from yeah. there in Pahaska, he won it that year, and it was a half and half that year. Yeah. But Ike said the, the steers they were team roping on weighed about 800 pounds. And so Baldy had quite a workout at his first rodeo, but Dad was heading on him there. And, you know, you'd have to kind of stop him to turn him around. Mm -hmm. And he says, boy, after that, he thought... Baldy just wanted the another lesson for Baldy of how to stop. Of course, he had already had a stop put on him when I got him, pretty much. But he hadn't really been finished as a, as a calf horse or anything till I got him, you know. And uh, it wasn't too long after that. It was about a, not even a year, I don't think, that I went up to Winnipeg, Canada, to the rodeo, and him and a Another cowboy by the name of Junior Caldwell were coming from Winnipeg, Canada, back to Burwell, Nebraska, to the rodeo. And, uh, of course, Dad never smoked in his life. But Junior Caldwell threw a lit cigarette out of the car. And back in those days, they just had the wood slat-sided horse trailers with straw in the bottom, you know. And the thing caught on fire. The cigarette went back in the trailer and caught the the trailer on fire and the car, the trailer went to whipping and everything and dad thought it had a flat at first until he looked in his rearview mirror and he says oh my gosh we're we're on fire flames were just shooting everywhere well by the time they got baldy unloaded he was burnt all over his leg and up into his eye and his head you know and everything and they took him to the nearest veterinarian and uh he recommended putting him down right then and there. You know, we did a podcast with Corbett Mason the other day, and someone wrote on the comments, Jimbo, something about they helped take care of Baldy when he was or They had a good friend in Nebraska him. Yeah, somewhere. Yes, yeah. yeah, they true. did. Uh, yeah, there was another comment that Troy Fort was with Ike. Troy Fort wasn't with Ike when Baldy. Yeah, it I didn't think Junior so. Junior Caldwell, you know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah. But Dad didn't want to put him down. He he had heard of this vet, Daryl Trump of Utica, Nebraska. and uh, But Dad was on his way to Burwell first, and he says, they went on to Burwell. Some way they got that horse loaded in, back in that trailer. I wouldn't have on. got back in a trailer. I know it. With those guys. I wondered if the vet maybe didn't sedate him or something. Or something. You know, something. Yep. But they got him back in the trailer. And by chance, uh, this Dr. Trump was at Burwell to attend the rodeo. And he come over and looked at Baldy and he says, you know, I think I can save him. Says, Let, but it's going to take a while. He says, you're going to have to leave him with me for several months. And Dad said anything to save the horse. So he took him up to, to Dr. Trump's at Utica, Nebraska. And Dr. Trump kept him for eight months. And what he did, 
he grafted chicken skin on that leg and uh, he saved his eye and he would exercise him every day in the sand hills in Nebraska to build up his muscle strength back. I mean, this Dr. Trump went over and above, right, like <laughs> you know, to, to help mm. this horse. And uh, when Dad came back and got him after eight months, uh, the horse, everybody said, all the cowboys says, well, he'll, you know, never amount to anything. He won't be able to stop again. And I had faith in him. He says, he's going to stop better than he ever has. And he did. Mm. Quite a story. No, That's something is. else. Whatever, uh, whatever, whatever happened to old Baldy? Well, okay. Uh, Dad, by this time, Dad had met my mother in, in the Baldy days. Dad had met my mother and got married. Now, that's quite a, a story in itself. Uh, Ike and Chuck Dyer, from around the Bartlesville area, had been out to Guyman to the rodeo, and Ace Soured was another steer roper in those days, uh, he says, Ace says, well, why don't you stop by my ranch, or my, actually it was his wife's uh, parents' ranch, my, my grandparents, and uh, spend the night. And so they said, okay. Well, as they grow, drove up, I saw Cleo Crouch, which turns out to be my mother, and says, who's that lady? And Ace says, well, that's my my sister's, uh, my wife's sister, excuse me, my wife's sister, but says, don't get any ideas because she's, she's engaged to be married. And Ike says, I don't want to get engaged. I want to get married. He says, I'm going <laughs> to marry her. <laughs> so <laughs> he spent the night that night, and my mother said every time she'd turn around in the kitchen, there he was, just like she was bumping into him constantly. Well, the next day, my mother went swimming out in the horse tank that they, big old horse tank they had out by the side of the house. And uh, Ike wanted to go out there and go swimming too. Well, he didn't have any swimming trunks, so he borrowed some of Ace's swimming trunks. Now, Ace was a great big man, and he tied a rope around, around him to hold him up. He didn't have any beach shoes, so he came out with these cowboy boots on and these way too big swimming trunks tied up with a rope around the waist. Now, don't you know that would really have been impressed a girl? Right. It's a wonder she married him. Oh, <laughs> Jimbo. <laughs> okay, now, my, at that time, Cleo, my mother, was 19 years old. Dad was... I'm going to get this right. In these 40s, 42, there was 24 years difference in their ages. 24. And he kept pestering her with telegrams from these different rodeos. Uh, one time, the, the, guy, the telegram guy at the Buffalo called Mom and says, you've got a, a telegram here. You, next time you're in town, you might want to come by and pick it up. And Mom says, well, I don't know when I'm going to get in town. You rode horses to town, you know. So she says, just read it over the phone. He says, well, this is the party line. She said, go ahead and read it. Well, it was from Mike. He says, I love you and always will. Will you marry me? <laughs> well, within just a few months, they were married. And her and Baldy and Daddy went crisscrossing the United States. So 
that was the story how, how he how he got married. <laughs> well, then whatever happened to old Baldy? Okay. Well, that's a great story though. Yeah. I bet they had a oh the time of their lives. They did. Uh, I mean, mom never had been hardly anywhere. She came from Buffalo, Oklahoma. Old. There's nothing. Yeah. There's still yeah. nothing there. Right. There's not. And uh, she, he said, I can't promise that we'll ever have a home but I'll, I'll you'll sure tour the united states and boy she did that and yeah she's they toured for many years for us kids were even born you know but how many hometowns has ike had have we counted them up well let's get into what happened to baldy and then then i'll count them all right let's finish this baldy deal then we're going to get into all these hometowns well, uh, in 1939, Ike won the calf open at Calgary, Canada on Baldy. He was 45 years old. And you know, I don't know, but I'm thinking that might be a record up there for the oldest ever when the calf opened. Do you in know the Calgary that? Stampede, that's that's got to be right up there. Has to be. Well, I wish I, I tried to research, but I could not find records back from Calgary. So... There has to, do they, do they really not have a Calgary Stampede Museum up there? Maybe we could uh, call those folks up. I don't know. They may or may not have one. I don't but know. I, I really think it's a probability that it was. Jim won it in 51, and he was 40, so Ike was quite a bit older than that. Yeah. yeah. Well, in 1942, my mother was pregnant for the first time, and by this time, Ike was 48 years old. And his calf roping days, he was starting to be beat, although he still had Baldy. And, hey, he mounted lots of cowboys off Baldy and made a lot of money by, mm. you know, that rode Baldy. Mount money. Yeah, mount money. But uh, he was 48 years old, and he went to Denver to the rodeo, and he won the go-around in the calf roping. And, boy, he was on a high. He was celebrating, and he was went out and was shooting craps and all and people was congratulating him and uh, he was excited and somebody Clyde Burke come up and says what would it take to buy Baldy well now you got to remember the depression was just coming to an end people did not have money in those days and I just spouted off he says oh it'd take 2500 to buy a horse like old Baldy never dreaming dreaming that anybody could, especially a rodeo cowboy, could come up with that kind of money because that was a lot of money back in those days. The next day, Clyde came to him with 2500 and Dad would not go back on his word, but tears was rolling down his eyes as he handed the rope to Clyde. Now that had to be a tough moment. It was. For sure. He, he always said that was the worst mistake he ever made in his life. But... He's, he's a man to his word because, uh, you know, not very many people would have done that. You know, when I was a kid, Jimbo, <laughs> I was riding an old pony around a steer open, and uh, someone asked me what I'd take for him. I think I said $200, and I, I thought that was an awful lot of money. And my dad made me sell my pony that day. <laughs> he said, son, if you're going to uh, price something and someone else wants to buy it, you need to sell it. So it sounds a, yeah. a lot like how Ike thought in those days, too. So you're good. Well, anyway, after that, uh, of course, Baldy, Clyde owned Baldy and roped off of him only for about uh, two years. And at, two years later at Denver, Clyde was killed on another horse, uh, what, Hazen? Hazen, yeah, Hazen for Bill for Hancock. Yep. So after, after Clyde was killed, his widow sold him to Troy Fort. And, of course, Troy Fort had him all of his life until he died. Yep. Well, that wasn't the only good horse he had. What about the old horse Buster? 
Oh, Buster. Let's see here. Uh, Buster was another one that uh, he went back and bought from Ronald Mason's ranch. Uh, he was a big stout horse, 15-1, weighed about 1,200 pounds. He was a six-year-old when he got him off the ranch. Um, he was... Um, Used in Ike used him in all the roping events. He used him as a calf horse. Uh, other people would rope calves on him. He, you know, would Dad was kind of given up on the calf roping by that time, but he did rope a few calves on him, team roping and steer roping, and he mounted many horses on Buster. Like I said, in the calf roping, but uh, Buster uh, was considered by some to be the best all-around roping horse uh you know he was he was a good steer horse he was a good calf horse and a team horse but to do all three uh he was by, considered by a lot of the cowboys at that particular time to be the best all-around horse they'd ever seen but buster uh had to be euthanized because of ring bone mm. in uh 1947 uh, I think that's, you know, it was in 1947 that Ike won his second world champion steer rope and title. And I think he used Buster some at the beginning of that year, but in the end, he borrowed Jim Snively's horse, Rock, mm -hmm. to, to rope off of. Yeah. Do you know the story behind that when he really started using him that Well, Jim was still calf roping more at that point, and he wasn't as interested in this thing. He just loaned him to Ike that whole year. I think, and I, I got along with him really good and liked him. Well, and apparently Buster was turning up lame a lot. Probably was, and I, I know, don't, yeah, he must time, have been. You know. And Jim just let him take rock because Jim was uh, getting up and down the road all over the country cab roping at right. that time, still, yeah. 47. So, I let you finish talking about Baldy. Now, what about all these hometowns? <laughs> The man of many hometowns, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> well, of course, he didn't even have a lighting place until he was married. Well, it not until after he was married, even. I mean, Pahuska was mainly where he had come back and forth to all the time. And then after he married Mom, they was pretty much on the road, but they rented a place in Pahuska. And, of course, that's where my brother was born. And at that time, they had considered buying a little spread and settling in Pahuska. But then I got thinking about it, and he says, you know, everybody I know, all these ropers, they have a place they have to go back home to so they can't get to the next rodeo and take care of some cattle, no matter how big it is. And I don't want to be tied down, so uh -uh. they never bought a place. <laughs> True rodeo cowboy. I was doing a little research helping Sammy when she's doing her book. I, I was looking through the Dewey Roundup, and he went over there. It looked like he roped there five times, and he gave five different addresses each time. <laughs> well, you know, I guess this is where Dad got the... He didn't value money at all. At all. You know, and you can kind of see why. Because he was a gypsy on the move all the time. He never put money in a bank. He didn't have a hometown to send it home to. Uh, he had to keep what he had in his pocket or put it in a suitcase and it might get stolen. Yep. And, of course, back then you didn't want to keep too much in your pocket as short as he was and trying to tie steers that weighed you down from getting back to time. So, I, you know, I can kind of see where he got his theory about money. 
it, it, he told me one time, he said, Sam, money's the root of all evil. The sooner you get shut of it, the better off you <laughs> He judged a man by the way he roped more than he, what he, he had. Roped, I yeah. heard one story. They were traveling through western Oklahoma. Him and Everett Shaw and somebody else in the front seat, and they thought I was in the back seat asleep. And they were tra- traveling through this guy's ranch along the highway, you know. It had a big ranch. But he tried. this guy tried to rope, and I won't name his name, but he was a roper, but not very good. And, and Everett and this other guy were saying, boy, old so-and-so, he's sure got a nice place here. And the other guy said, yeah, he's really done well. So he's invested his money. He's worth a lot of money. And I was listening. He reared up in the back seat and said, yeah, but he can't rope worth a darn. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why he judged you. Yeah. Now, once at Cheyenne, uh, the Denver paper was interviewing him, and they said, Ike, who would you rather be, president of the United States or, or a world champion steer roper? And, I mean, it just offended him. He says, hell, he can't rope. Right. <laughs> president can't rope. Right. Holy moly. Oh, the towns, the towns, the land. Yeah, how many How many different hometowns did y'all have? Once kids came along. Uh, the first really home we had was Dodge City, Kansas, and uh, I called it home. We didn't stay there much because we'd taken off going to rodeos, but we'd come like there back and forth between rodeos. And then we moved out to Newhall, California, by Andy Oregi's place. And then once us kids got in school, which my brother went to first and second grade there at Newhall, we had to kind of stay put during the winter months so us kids could attend school. And then uh, from there we moved to Calipatria, California. And we stayed out in California because all the team ropings was going on year-round and Daddy could go to a team roping somewhere about every weekend, you know, while us kids were in school. And then he got a job uh, down in Calipatria, California with some... uh, down there they fed a lot of cattle and had big feedlots and all and they'd put the cattle out on the sugar beets and all and dad took care of the cattle out in the in the pastures and the fields you know out there calipatria then we moved to brawley california and we lived and dad went to work for a regal land and cattle company one of the biggest feedlots there was back in those days for ed rutherford out there and us kids went to a little country school so we in the winter months we lived at brawley for well until I was in the eighth grade, so for several years there, for about seven years, I think, straight, Brawley. And then then we moved back to Buffalo, Oklahoma um, for one year, and then out to Buckeye, Arizona. And uh, when I was a sophomore in high school out at Buckeye, in fact, I was the rodeo queen out there that year, and I loved it out there. All all the kids were really rodeo-minded out there and all. And uh, then to Pendleton, Oregon, and lived, I went my ju- rest of my sophomore year and my junior year there, and then back to Buffalo. And then mom and dad eventually moved down to Mangum, Oklahoma. So I don't know how many is that. <laughs> That's a lot. You know, besides the big rodeos back in, in your dad's day, like Cheyenne and Pendleton, I've noticed that your dad did a lot of match roping. And and, and these match ropings, they play it up just like the biggest boxing match in in the world, you know, um, the the posters look like that it's something from, you know, Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay fighting somebody. So uh, I think he had a, a, a set of four matches with Everett Shaw, I believe. Is that who he was matching? 
Well, he matched, I believe it was two or three with Everett, and he matched some with, uh, gosh, Carl Arnold. Uh, Buck Goodspeed. I've got the picture Buck of Buck Goodspeed laid yeah. out in the arena after yeah. his horse got jerked See, out. See, back then, him. the Humane Society was cracking down on steer tripping, as you call today, steer roping, what I call, still call it, steer roping. Yeah. But um, we call it steer roping. A yeah, lot absolutely. of the states would not allow it in the rodeo, so but they could have these matched ropings and you know not getting so, so much trouble. So that's why the matched ropings come in. But people back then were still very interested in watching steer roping. That was still back when they was roping the big cattle and they'd lay those trips and the. The steers would go really high, and it, it took a good horse, a good cowboy, to, to make those steers lay. It was a little different than they do nowadays. Cody, they, they didn't, like she said, they didn't have many that many rodeos that had steer rope, but the ones they did, it was the most popular event. Mm-hmm. People came to see steer rope and made Cheyenne and a lot of rodeos. That, that's where Ada, when they had rodeo at Ada, the steer rope was the main event. That Dewey. Was the, yeah, that oh. was the event. Those guys were rock stars back then. Yes, they were. Uh, yeah. You know, really, it was steer roping. Steer roping, and I would have to say saddle bronc riding fit in there, that were uh, the original ranching cowboys' work. Right. Well, those were the two original events in rodeo, as far right. as I, I know, was steer roping and saddle bronc riding. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you go off of Pecos, Texas, being in the first rodeo. hmm they had a steer roping and a saddle bronc ride. But if you watch any of those jackpot steer ropers back then or match roping, people are lined along the fence. They're crawled up on top of the concession stand. They're up on the buck and shoot, just trying to get where they can see. I mean, that's how popular they were back then. Well, and back east, you know, in the early 20s, 30s, yeah. the cowboys, the rodeos back there, they was like rock stars. Yeah. I mean, Dad met Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig. They'd come over and watch the rodeo at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. They gave Dad tickets to come to the ball games. I mean, they was ever bit the celebrities as yeah. the, the baseball players, you know. I mean, thousands would attend those rodeos back then. Jack Dempsey, yeah. my grandfather got well acquainted with Jack Dempsey. He had a restaurant or something back there. They knew him quite well. Did Dad ever travel with uh, Casey Tibbs any? Did they ever cross uh, lines like that? They, Casey and Casey thought Dad was a, his idol, kind of. Yeah, every time they'd get to a rodeo, Casey would usually, I come on over here behind the buck and shoots, tell some of your stories that when you worked on the ranches, and, and then you'd find Dad over there with all the bronc riders telling the young cowboys all these stories. Oh, Casey thought Ike was just something else. <laughs> I remember one time at Yuma, we was there, and Casey and a bunch of the bronc riders was in a motel room right beside us. And uh, Dad says, I think I got to go over and have a drink with Casey and these boys. And he got telling them stories, and they got to laughing. Yeah, Casey, Casey thought Dad was just really a, one of the true, true old cowboys, you know. Oh, I imagine they got in their fair amount of fun times together. What about the old horse Terrapin he had? Terrapin, after Daddy had to put Buster down, he was looking for another good horse. And there was a guy by the name of Roy Sewell in, uh, in Tampa, Texas. He was a farmer. And he had this great big stout horse that he had been matching him races on all the dirt tracks around the Texas Panhandle, and he had won all of them. He had beat all the horses around. Ain't a Terrapin a turtle? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. just making sure. Yeah, checking his nail out. Ironic name, yeah. isn't it? 
fastest running horse named Turtle. Yeah, Terrapin. Maybe that was to camouflage what he was really about. I don't know. But anyway, uh, he had always been a fan of Ike's and liked to go watch him rope whenever he was at the closer rodeos. And he contacted Ike and I says, I hear you're out of a horse. Says, I've got a horse out here that I've been, he's been a racehorse for me, but uh, he says, uh, I don't have any use for him now because I can't get a match race. Nobody will run against him anymore and he says i'm a farmer i can't get away to haul him to bigger racetracks and you know you know that just doesn't fit into my, my way to make a living so he says uh why don't you come out here and look at him i'll just give him to you well dad didn't think too much of it but we was on our way out to new mexico to try out a ranch or he, dad was out and the family was out on their way to New Mexico to try out a ranch job. And on the way, he says, let's just stop in a pap and see what he, what he has. Well, this was the biggest, stoutest, good-looking horse Dad had ever seen. He weighed about 1,300 pounds. He was stout and big. And, and Dad decided he wanted him. But he says, I, you don't need to give him to me. So Dad wrote him a check for $500, insisted he take it. Well, Terrapin turned out to be a really stout steer horse. He was, oh, he was a big, big, stout, good-looking horse. In, in fact, one time, my brother, he was just, oh, I don't know, eight years old, decided he wanted to show him at the AQHA horse show that was held there in Buffalo, Oklahoma, which back then, they had a pretty big horse show, and he was grand champion gilding. And the next year, I decided I wanted to show him, and he was grand champion going again. The only two times the horse had ever been shown. So here he was, a big, stout, good-looking halter-type horse that was a had been a race horse that turned into a really good steer and team roping horse. So, whatever happened to him? He got a, a broke a bone in his foot and had to be put down. Well, that's unfortunate. So after that, Dad went out to the J.A. Ranch, his old friend that he used to work with by the name of Tom Blassengame. I don't Tom Blassengame. I know, the, I, I know that name. I, yes, I know he, the was, name. he was quite a... Quite yeah, an he was a foreman, guy. wasn't he, a ranch foreman? No, no, he never was a foreman, but he worked uh, for the J.A.'s only just worked for him for a long time, okay. He had even it's come One out. of the greatest cowboys mm -hmm. to ever yeah. live, ranch cowboys, yeah, yes. Yeah, ranch cowboys. He even came out to the... The Arizona and worked with Dad out there in the mountains for a while. But anyway, Dad went out there and bought heel fly from him. And uh, about a year later, Dad went back and bought the full brother Cheyenne, who was a full brother to heel fly from him. And of course, uh, later then, Dad, as he was getting older, uh, sold the horse to Earl Corbin for, and then Kelly Corbin, and uh, you know, went and. Uh, Cheyenne on the horse when he was just 18 years old. Yep. He graduated high school yeah. and left for Cheyenne and won it. Yeah. Yeah. I, thought, I always thought it was so ironic. See, uh, in talking with Kelly, he said he thought he and, and uh, Fred Lowry were the youngest to ever win Cheyenne in the Stir Open. And their dad was the oldest to ever win Cheyenne. And both of the horses that the men rode were trained by and owned by a crew at, at one time or another. Wow. That's really something right there. What happened to the full brother of Cheyenne, the horse? Cheyenne, well, Cheyenne, by the time, let's see, I'm running out of my dates here. Mm -hmm. Dad was getting pretty old and decided it was time to retire. And so he uh, sold Cheyenne to a, a some cowboy from New Mexico. What? 
and I cannot remember his name. But anyway, that was, uh, then Dad retired at Buffalo. How old was he when he won that that cowboy uh, roping that you were telling me about at Matador Ranches? He was 77. 70. Was that after his retirement? He well, came out of retirement? Did he, he ever really retire? He came, <laughs> he came out of retirement twice. Okay. Uh, he, he retired, uh, let's see, in... Uh, uh, 1968. They had team roping, and I think they had steer roping at the end. I'm not sure. I'd have to get with CA on that. But the first team roping they had there, uh, Ike went down to Clark McIntyre's and said, Clark, Daddy decided he wanted to rope in it. Now, he hadn't roped in, you know, in, what, several years? A while. A while. And he had to borrow one of the Lauer horses to rope off of, but he thought he wanted to get back to roping, so he went back and... Clark says, I can't get away to come up there to go the rope, and says, I've got a son here, Pecos, who Pecos was just 14 at the time, and he says he's getting where he can rope pretty good, and uh, Pecos told me he had been around to a few of the local ropings, and, but not never been out, you know, far away or, you know, very far, and uh, Anyway, I got spent a few days roping with Pecos, and so Jackie drove Pecos up to to Buffalo. And to make a long story short, Dad and Pecos won the first team roping they had there. Pecos was the youngest to ever win it, and Dad was the oldest. Another <laughs> another first oldest. <laughs> another story. record first and oldest. Yeah, <laughs> but that Pecos says that's where he really got thinking. Well, maybe I can rope after all. <laughs> I saw him rope. I saw your dad rope a steer in 1968 at Cheyenne. Well, then after that, after Dad right. won the team rope and they're at Buffalo, he decided he's going to hit the road again. He got the itch again. He yep. got the, so he came out of retirement. Got a check. Yeah. So he came out of retirement, and that was in 1968. And I think he was 74 years old yep. when he came out of retirement, and he roped for three years. And he roped at Cheyenne and all. He didn't win much in those times, but he sure had a lot of fun doing it. And he was competitive. And I heard at Cheyenne he had made the short go that one year. Uh, 68, I know he roped a steer right across the line. Steer kind of waited on him like they do up there, you know, at times. He roped him right across the line. Had trouble getting off and, you know. and, and Steer kicked, you said. Yeah, steer kicked. He, he was a long, quite a while on him. But still, the crowd, the grandstand just went crazy. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, he uh, he wasn't going to give up. No, it, it, the, the, he they were really pulling for him. I, I never will forget that. But he had went to up to Benny Benyon's ranch and bought a horse. He just named Grulia because that was his mm-hmm. color. And this horse was always a little bronky. And uh, Dad broke him, broke him to rope and everything. At seventy some years old, you know, and that's who he was roping on at Cheyenne. But I heard up there that. He had his steer roped one year and had a lot of time to tie it 
you know, to win, to win either the day money or the average. I thought it, the story was the average. And he was back tying it, and the horse went to pitching and ran off with the steer. Well, good grief. That'll happen at Cheyenne. He, he did deserve a name then, did he? Yeah. So That'll anyway, happen after that, uh, Dad and Mom moved to Mangum, and that's where they lived until Dad passed away. But at, at, in 1971, at 77, he, he went to the Invitational Matador Ranch Rodeo, and that's where he won the calf rope and, and the, the team rope, I believe, and he won a saddle, a breast collar, and spurs. And uh, that was uh, really the last big, big win he had. Then 10 years passed after that, and uh, he went to, the, decided he was... He, Gonna come out of retirement again. I got this call. I got this call at work, and it was mom says you'll never guess what your dad's gonna do. And I said, you know what? Well, he wants to go to Oklahoma City to the Hall of Fame to get his saddle out so he can go back to roping, and that's what he did. And Willard Porter was working there at the time. And he tried to talk Ike out of it, says, you're going to hurt yourself, Ike. And Ike says, well, if I die in the arena, that's where I want to die. Right. I want to go back to roping. He says, well, you got to promise me one thing. If you get hurt in any way, you're supposed to bring this saddle back to the Hall of Fame. And Ike says, well, I'm not going to get hurt. So you don't count on the saddle ever coming back. <laughs> Speaking of that Hall of Fame, he has the dist another distinction as the the first living inductee to the Cowboy Hall of Fame here in Oklahoma City. Was it was was it Oklahoma City or Colorado Springs? First living inductee here in Oklahoma okay. City. Okay. In Oklahoma City. No, okay. he's in eight Hall of Fames throughout the United States now, and his horses, uh, Bullet and Baldy, are in two. Is Baldy buried over there at the Cowboy no, Hall of Fame? Baldy, it looks like no, they have a headstone. They have, just have a monument. Baldy's buried out at Lovington, New Mexico. Yeah, Jake, okay. At the yeah, Jake McClure Arena. Fort's, yeah. In Lovington. Troy yeah. Fort did have him buried at his ranch, and I think they moved, moved him, him to the arena. Yeah. Or, yeah, I think so. They're in yeah, Lovington. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's quite the career right there. Oh, I mean. What about his, uh, towards the end there on him? His, uh, well, uh, after, uh, Dad never did get to, to use his, his saddle. They had come out of retirement the last time. He had a, a, one night I was called and he was rushed to the emergency room. He was bleeding. They couldn't, internally, they didn't know where it was coming from. And I got there to Mangum about in early hours one morning and the doctor told Mom and I, says, we don't know, we're gonna have to go in and do surgery on him. By this time, Ike was 87 years old, something like that, and says he's already lost so much blood that, you know, there's not too much hope that he could pull through surgery. But one thing's for certain, if he, we don't do surgery on him, he's going to lay here and bleed to death probably in the next hour, hour and a half. So they went back in and told Daddy, and he says, what are the odds? And I think the doctor told him 95 to 5 that you can survive surgery because of your weakened condition. But, you know, for sure you're going to bleed to death if we do nothing. And Dad says, he was content. He says, let's go for it. I'm a gambler. Let's go for the surgery. Well, Mom and I thought we said our goodbyes to him. But before we said our goodbyes, 
Dad was talking very rational. All of a sudden, he kept squinting his eyes and looking up at the ceiling, and he was seeing a vision. And Mom asked him, what are you seeing? He says, I see a bunch of cowboys off in the distance, and dang, they're riding good-looking horses. And uh, Mom knew he was having a vision, and she says, well, he's just squinting his eyes and, you know, looking up so... So try, he, he turned to me and said, Sam, can't you see him? And I said, no, Daddy, I can't see him. And Mom says, well, is one of them maybe old Baldy? And he says, I don't know. says, I can't get close enough to make it out. But boy, they're the, I, but he kept saying they're the best-looking horses mm-hmm. I ever saw. Then he started laughing, and he saw all these wild animals just playing and romping together. And later, Mom and I talked about it. Well, up in his lifestyle he had seen a lot of wild animals in the mountains and all but what threw us he even saw some camels and he finally laid back down he said the vision just went away well you know okay he, he came out of the surgery the doctor came and got us and says i've just witnessed a miracle he says in all my years of profession he says i i came out of this surgery and he's recouping now but he says uh, he, he pulled through it. And he lived for two more years, but he lived in the veteran's home up at Clinton because he was bedridden after that. And uh, Mom would go up there every day to see him, and he would always recite this vision. She'd test him and say, I, you remember that vision? Oh, yes, I do. And he'd recite it word for word. And uh, there at the end, uh, court, uh, backtrack a little, just about two weeks prior to this happening to Dad, he had professed his faith and wanted to be baptized. And uh, he, he came out, he, he was baptized in the First Christian Church, and they believe in total submersion. And Dad had to be helped down into the, the baptism. And when he come up, he shook like a dog. And he, he says, dang, I feel better. I should have done this years ago. And I mean, those two weeks, Dad was just as happy as a lark. And he was content when he had that vision and no one going into his surgery. I mean, he was just as content as can be. But C.A. and Rob Lauer came to see Dad there at the end, last time they ever saw him. And it was just a few weeks before Dad passed away at the veterans' home. And uh, C.A. said he called the boys back. They was getting ready to walk out the door. And he says, boys, come back here. I want to tell you something. And he says... Don't be afraid to ride into the wind. And that's where I got the title for my book. It's going to be called Riding Into the Wind, The Cowboy I Crewed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Clem McSpadden officiated at his, his funeral, and Clark McIntyre was the only, and Clark and Jackie came down to the funeral, but... They was about the only cowboys left. Well, Jim, Jim and Joe and my dad took off for that day. And if you remember, it was an ice storm. Oh, it was an ice storm. It was a And they got day. west of Ponca City and just more cars in the ditch and yeah, just everywhere. Was, and they turned around out there about Deer Creek yeah. and went home and, and called your mom, I remember, and, and talked to her. Yeah. But, but they, did, yeah, they didn't make uh, yeah, it. Yeah, it was a terrible day for the funeral. And yeah. I know more would have been there if they could yeah. have. Willard Porter came, yeah. too. And, yeah, that too. Yeah, he was buried out at Mangum. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we're real excited for this book to come out, Sammy. I, I hope it comes out sooner than later. Well, it's, I do too. It's actually at the uh, the the editor's place now. They're looking well, at it. It's at the publisher. The pu- that's what I meant, publisher. It's considered for publication. Uh, it's being reviewed by some people for their recommendation, and uh, hopefully, hopefully. Well, there's no doubt this is going to be one of the greatest books ever written about a rodeo cowboy. Absolutely. One of the sure. greatest rodeo cowboys. I'm going to say he might be the greatest rodeo cowboy to ever live. Um, I, I've never heard anyone that's lived and breathed it as much as he has, Jimbo. I mean, a 61-year rodeo career. I know. Yep. He started out in the golden age, in the 20s, going to Madison Square Garden and all of them, and went all the way through the 70s? I know. That's... that's Sixty. You know, well, uh, early. 70s. Early seventy. Jimbo well, saw him rope the Cheyenne. He came back out of retirement. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was nineteen sixty-eight when I, I was up. There okay. Sixty-eight. Yeah. I'm sorry. But he roped up there in seventy-one. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. That was his last roping at Cheyenne. Well, that's really something else. Unbelievable. Well, Jimbo, do you got anything else for Sammy today? Well, just thank her for coming over here and doing this with us because it's going to be a great podcast and it's amazing to me because as long as Ike's been gone, that there's still so many people that remember him. I mean, all his contemporaries are long gone, but but he's so well-remembered, so well-loved. And his horses and everything. They can't wait for this book to come out, you know, and, and uh, I can't wait either, and I encourage when it does come out for everybody, whether you you even have ever heard of Ike Rude, you need to get this book because it, it, it'll really, it's just a rodeo history uh for sure, I can't even read, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, know, I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna learn when gonna this book comes out. Have pictures in it for Cody? I hope they have <laughs> pictures. I sent 135 pictures with it to the publisher. How many they'll use, I don't know. Yeah. Cody, I'd like to read a poem if I, if we got a minute. Let's uh, do it. It's called Ike, and it's by Buck Wilkerson, Pendleton, Oregon. <clears throat> it says Ike was always at his best when the going got real tough, because he was put together with a special kind of stuff. They took a ball of rawhide thongs and laced his frame together. On they grafted cougar flesh and covered it with leather. Inside they put an eagle's heart and the courage of a lion. Then he set out on a long career, a roping and a time. I don't know that he started out to make himself a name or if he meant to rope his way into the Hall of Fame. If so, they had to change the rules to get him in. Here's why. The powers that be all had in mind that he would have never die. There might be a cowboy heaven he could get into, of course, but he won't make a deal up there until they'll take his horse. <laughs> no need for him to go below. Hell, man, he wouldn't dare. He'd rope and tie the devil, then they'd run him out of there. <laughs> Well, maybe there's another place, but that's another story. Meanwhile, he'll just stay on earth and bask in all his glory. Quite that's great. Poem. What a poem. What a poem. What a man. What a tribute to a man. It's going to be quite the book, too. Oh, we can't, I can't wait. wait. We can't, can't wait to read it. Well, thank you for coming and visiting us with, visiting with us today, Sammy. Um, do you got anything else to add before we no, sign off? Thank both of you for having me and being able to tell my story. Well, we want to keep your dad's memory alive just as bad as you do because he's one of the greatest that ever lived. Thank Where you. would we be today without the guys that came before us, Jimbo? I know. Yeah, especially guys like Ike Rude. You know, they just set the tone for for these later generations and the travel and the whole making the horse trailer, just the whole deal. You know, they're just 
history. And now we're all about the Benjamin Cowboy Museum. We're all about the history. That's right. Well, everybody, that's been another episode, and uh, we'll see you again next week right here on the Cowboys of the Osage podcast. Thank you again, Sammy. We sure appreciate it. Thank you.